Touch them all, Joe. <laughs> they me. The golden goal. Welcome to the Backstage Project Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silver. In this episode, I catch up with Elliot Hurst, the CEO of SoCast. Elliot and I cover a range of topics around the business of audio, from formats to streaming to monetization. Elliot, welcome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So let's let's get right into it. So, you know, you foresaw the convergence of radio and audio and digital you know, over over 20 years ago. And when you think back over 20 years, and I'm going to give you some time to, to kind of think about what you want to talk about, but when you think back over 20 years, what milestones stand out for you over that time? That's an awesome question because uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of reading as a uh, you know, it's recommended to do if you're an entrepreneur, or even if you're not an entrepreneur, you should always be reading. And I'm, I'm reading a lot about, you know, what is what is the ultimate goal of business and life and all of this? I mean, I just turned 50. I got four kids. You know, everything is interweaving, especially now during uh, the way we're working today and everything work from home. It's 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 almost like a new paradigm. And uh, as a result, when I look back at stuff and I think about like uh, milestones, it kind of reclassified what I considered a milestone. Like some of these milestones are actually, you know, they just mean something to me. They were a milestone to me. They weren't necessarily a milestone like, oh, we hit a million dollars in this or, oh, we, you know, we we met these guys or did this sort of big epic deal. The milestones were more on the learnings, I think. And, uh, you know, I came from the roots of a, of a very non-digital world. Like we, you know, when I, uh, when I got my way in the world into sort of, I guess the world of business, uh, it was after a world of pursuing the arts. And I was trying to be an actor when I was a teenager and I acted in a bunch of things. I had an agent. I used to actually go to audition. I used to haul myself there. You know, I, I didn't have... You know, my parents to drive me, they were busy. So I would, you know, it was a great learning experience because nothing, you know, one of the milestones you would think is, oh, you're getting your first part, but it's not. The milestone from from the whole world of learning acting was was coming to the realization that um, what you want to do is you want to create. It's not you'd necessarily want to act. And that was a milestone for me. It was realizing that that was something that I really wanted to do, create stuff. And that's what kind of opened my mind to digital and the whole world because it was a, um, it was kind of a very new new time when the internet came. I remember distinctly when the internet came out, that's how old I am, uh, in the mid nineties. And my, uh, you know, my good friend introduced me to the internet. That was a milestone, like showing me a web page that had blue writing that when you clicked on it, it actually opened another page, like this concept of linking. Um, you know, these are all things that stand out in my mind as, as milestones. Although when I, when I started uh, a venture as a concert promoter, our first concert that we promoted, it was, it was me and my partner, who's, who's my brother. And, uh, you know, we dumped the money on the table and that was a milestone for us. Like we actually earned this money, you know, as as promoters by by hustling and, and doing what we had to do. So, you know, the, these milestones kind of set the stage for sort of, I guess, bigger milestones, which led me to, you know, some great business uh, uh, sort of successes and 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 really transitioning from, you know, a a marketer, a a promoter into a uh, a software developer and and solutions uh provider and going from a b2c model to a b2b model was a radical mind shift uh change for us but having one foot in both sides and understanding both sides that gave us a real i guess it gave me a real insight and window into where the state of digital was was headed as I monitored it, as it took over 
audio first because we were an audio con- we were a concert promoter so we we saw what happened to the record labels we saw what napster did we saw what myspace did these were the first real disruptors in the in the music industry and that's what kind of spread that was the roots of everything i mean there were even predecessors of course to myspace and uh and napster but these were the ones that took hold and really you know had the effect and, and of course so, you're referencing GeoCities. I mean, tip, tip yeah, of the tongue, right? <laughs> that's right, GeoCities. Absolutely. Like, so I'm totally dating myself with all this, but you know, it was a real real eye opener for me. And and today, to this very day, this notion of, oh, our business has to quite quote go digital. Like for some people who are already have been doing digital for so long, or like that's that's unbelievable yawn. But for a lot of people, they're still not they haven't grasped the 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 true change and they what digital has done is laid bare is what what exactly some businesses are really doing and what some businesses were just kind of i guess pretending to do and lost their lost their value completely what you described there it got me going in so many different directions i want to i want to bring it back in a few ways so first i want to bring it back and we're going to get into this over our conversation today great we recently, and we mentioned this kind of in the pre-chat, we recently had David Kinds of Much Music fame on, on the podcast, and we know what's happened to that business over time. You know, if you if you kind of overlay, you know, SoCast and what you've done and, and the clients that you've helped, and you overlay that on kind of Much Music's trajectory as a, as a television channel, a specialty channel, it's amazing how opposite you know, those growth curves have, have gone over, over time. And, and that's for the audience. That's what we're going to talk a lot about today. But before we get there, I think it's important because Elliot and I do have history. It is kind of ancient history because we are that old. Although I think I'm still younger. Yes. When we had hair. We, well, yes, we, we both had full heads of hair. I had. Oh my hair. God. Glorious locks of hair. I remember you had the shaggy, you had like a Seth Rogen, like shaggy, big, Oh, it was miraculous. I, oh, I love that. I love that. And hair. I had a, I had the quaff going, uh, you know, like, oh, I miss my hair. I miss it. <laughs> so Elliot and I, I mean, we'll just, we'll just kind of place it. So Elliot and I met, uh, I think it might have been like 1990 where I was, I don't know, a, a young counselor, I guess, at a yeah, yeah. night camp in Northern Ontario. We've talked about it a bit on the podcast and, and Elliot, you were, you were, you were a big deal. You know, you were head of drama, I guess. Is- yeah. And you know what? Head of drama was hilarious because my, first of all, it should have just been called uh head of, you know, theater games, acting games, plays, whatever. Right. It was the really not a very well, you know, it's it's one of the pieces of, of camp that people do remember, but it's not the main piece. The camp was miraculous in itself because it had this legendary status as being sort of like a real sort of genuine but poor camp. <laughs> I mean, in, in its roots, it was what Meatballs was based on, right? Oh, absolutely. For anyone who's nostalgia for camp, yes, Bill. We, we didn't have quite the, the Bill Murray character, and we can't make this all about camp, but it's easy to do that. But we do. We did have these legendary characters who were basically part of the fabric, you know, of the waterfront and the forest. <laughs> right. Like Ivan Reitman went to that camp, and all the stories that wrote, he wrote in the Meatballs are about that camp. And it's so it's, like you know, it's... A, but camp is a crazy place. It's where kids watch other people's kids. It's, it's what could go it's wrong. Interesting. No, hopefully my kids get to go this summer and yours too. But but I will I will place one person in particular, and I don't know what your status is with him these days. But when I look at what you've done, you know, in in your time with SoCast and other initiatives, and I look at the, the fellow that I, at the same time I think came to camp, which is which is Michael Held. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. I don't know what your relationship was is with him these days, but Michael has gone on to uh you know really go deep in, into a completely different category of business and raised uh-huh. a lot of money to you know make that a rocket ship so it is quite interesting to see these guys who came out of nowhere to, to camp and both are on these amazing journeys of innovation and entrepreneurship well yeah i appreciate that but michael yeah mike's a great friend he's probably my best friend i we still talk all the time and we t- we tell each other about you know, but there were times where I literally didn't hear or speak to him for months, months and months. And I get it now because I'm I'm kind of on that sort of trajectory that that he was on. And, you know, what he's done in the space of of uh, sort of HR and 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 mental health and, you know, that whole like growing trend of, of you know, supporting staff and training and, and all of that is 
is phenomenal. He's built a leader. So, you know, and that's sort of what we in our niche are, are aspiring to be is, is the leader and the leader in the space is, is there's some weight, there's some responsibility to that. And it's a, it's something that I would have, you know, I was always hoping for when we first started, but I never thought we would be in within grasp, you know, and it's just one of those things that, and so I guess with, with SoCast, um, uh, in case uh, people that probably don't know, I mean, it's it's not a massive company or anything, but the the, the notion of SoCast is 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 it's it's dedicated to making uh, digital easy for broadcasters because digital is something that is still very hard to to grasp for a lot of uh, businesses, and as it grows and changes at a phenomenal rate, um, just think of all the ways today that we listen or we watch something, the number of devices, the, the, you know, the, the, the ways we get informed about things, the, the notifications the, through social media, through smart speakers. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's so many formats now. There used to be one format. It was radio. You know, you could listen to radio or you could buy music and you can, well, how an arcane thing. You could buy music and you can put it on your physical player. And that was it. That was how you experienced audio. And now radio and audio is completely, you know, and it's just growing. You know, the consumption is growing. Everything's growing. So our goal is to make this easy for radio to reach the listener how they want to be reached. And, and because radio has a an amazing uh offering they have an amazing offering that is unique different from tv different from all the other local media and that's why you know it's something that we gravitated towards based on uh, a natural fit uh we were dealing with radio through our concert promotions we had tried to deal with labels and digital but it, there was just such a block there there was no and and you see they 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 outlasted everybody and they figured it out but there was a lot of carnage in the in the in the label industry well let's uh let's get into the business a, a, a little bit and have a have a few questions to to help the audience um you know join you at you know at your level of understanding hopefully so when you think about advertisers uh and i've i've worked mostly on the you know on the on the tv broadcast side of digital uh in my career there was some radio in the mix i think i've talked about on this uh podcast that you know, I was there when TSN Radio launched all their stations uh, across the country. I was responsible for the mobile and uh, and Amazing. web part part of that. And um, so that that aside, you know, when it comes to TV, advertisers have this kind of blind faith in the measurement. I mean, we can call it a religion if we really want to. I know mm. measurement on radio. You know, it's been a challenge. And then when it comes to digital, which is really your focus at SoCast, you know, when you look at digital sales for audio. What data are media buying agencies or advertisers looking for uh, before they make that commitment to buy? So, you know, it's a it's a great question, and it's it's such an evolving uh, thing right now. There used to be a radio buyer. There used to be somebody who would be in charge of buying the radio ads, the spots, and now that has morphed into just basically a, a media buyer that buys everything. So now it's it's radio's got a slice there, and that slice of on-air ads, the air, the ads you hear on that on that linear stream when you're listening, um, when you hear those ads, those ads have a measurement, and that measurement is in Canada, uh, sorry, in, in in the U.S. it's Nielsen, in Canada it's Numeris, and those are the rating systems that are based on. An older technology, obviously, it's not digital, but you know, it's based on pagers and 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 sort of capturing uh, on a on a percentage basis. And that percentage basis, you know, when those percentage points move, then the value of those ads move, right? You have a higher percentage point, you you pay more for the ad. And uh, so, when you think about things like the Super Bowl, and you think about their share of the uh, audience, the assumed share projected out, like that's why they can command so much money for their ads. And then you break it down to the smaller, smaller markets, smaller and smaller, and you get smaller and smaller ad budgets. But then now there's this growing um, appetite for digital ads, ads that appear on websites, on apps, on um, you know other places, even outdoor digital displays, what is referred to as uh, out of home. Um, and then there's these connected TVs now. And these connected TVs, like your your Roku and your um, uh, Apple TV and, 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 and the Chromecast. And so 
basically all of these screens, as I call them, whether they're playing audio or video, ads and content go through those screens. And those screens are just growing and growing and growing. And the way those ads are sold is completely differently. It's on a cost per uh, thousand. And, you know, it's, it's, those ads are all sold digitally too. They're all sold by computers. They're sold by auctions called programmatic advertising. And each, each ad is treated as its own little micro auction. And so if you're literally walking by a screen outdoors, they assume, you know, they know the traffic going by there. And then once that ad is being shown that that was negotiated kind of by computers on the spot based on all this supply and demand going into the system. And so that's what programmatic does. It tries to provide a very sort of democratic price for the value of that, of that one impression. And each one of those are added up and then those become the, the bigger digital ad budgets. And those digital ad budgets have eclipsed all traditional budgets combined uh, by 2019. That was a long time ago. Uh, and so it's this traditional spot revenue, although still valuable part of the mix, is not growing. It's, it's, it's actually shrinking. And it's certainly shrinking in comparison to the appetite of total ads because there's just more ads being listened to and, and experienced as everybody sees more and hears more uh, through digital means. Well, as part of what what you do, and that was a great explanation. And we've had we've had Al, Al Dark on on the podcast mm, before yeah, from, awesome. from Roger Sports and Media, and he's more of a broadcast media sales guy. So he didn't he didn't talk the way that Elliot just spoke. So Elliot, thank you. I don't think we've had anyone on who's more in the digital bend on the sales side. And I know that's not your the, the biggest thing you do, but it, but it's great that you have that in your repertoire. Sure. But when we look kind of beyond uh, the ad, you know, the spot or the video role. Um, in your, in your world, how, how else are brands, I'll call it activating, just the word in the industry, how else are brands activating, I guess, with your with your clients around their, their content? And let's, if we can, just narrow it down to, to audio. Okay, so um, the simplest way is they're, they're, what they're trying to do now, what radio is trying to do, what audio, so there's two separate camps. There's the streamers, which... Um, is is like spotify and apple music and those types and that's like music you can it's like the netflix of audio right you can just grab it and listen to it but the use case for that is very different than the use case for radio and so what radio is doing is trying to really leverage these unique things that they have that spotify doesn't have and apple doesn't have and you know th these other streaming services uh, are trying to even add, but they can't. And, and one of the things is that they're local. Uh, another thing is that they have actual talent. I'm often told the difference is what's between the records, not what's, you know, the records themselves. You know, as music has become literally water, that's what I always heard when I was hearing all of this stuff. I mean, we created a, uh, in our past, we created like a social media for music and we, so we had to ex, we had to learn all of this as, as part of a previous business. And, and the thing that I learned is that the value of the radio is that it's live. It's live, it's curated, and it's local, and it's trusted. And you don't have all that with the other streamers, but you have everything else. You have everything else. So um, when radio is going to leverage all of those things, they're trying to do it through all the digital means, which means they're getting more social. They're interacting more with the audiences uh, through social media. At first, there was a real uh, sort of, um, I wouldn't say a, a resistance to social media, but, uh, you know, there, there really was a, a lack of understanding. Now, you can't have radio without social, certainly with CHR and with certain formats, news, with Twitter. Like, the, the integration of social and radio has been really, really seamless in the last I would say five years, even so much so that Instagram, even a visual medium is now a critical part of radios, getting the message out there, getting the brands out there, getting the content out there and selling ads on, on Instagram for their clients as a service and learning how to sell these mediums. That's where radio also is leveraging. We not only can reach the audience in all these ways, we can also sell our advertisers, the audience, all these ways. And so when you look at what you do, 
and compare that and we compare that to the competitive landscape for kind of your services like who who are your your competitors from technology media buying uh branded content i guess falls in there somewhere yeah well that's a great question so what we are is you know we we're not a we are we are a consultancy even though we set out to be a platform and that's what one of the big learnings was is that you know this this group, radio people, radio users, radio broadcasters, broadcaster owners, this is a very, I mean, at the very high level, it's big business and suits, but everything underneath, right? In these smaller towns and, and not even in some of the bigger towns too. It's a very folksy kind of uh, attitude. It draws a lot of folks and and these folks, they, you know, they, they adopt things a at a certain speed and you have to help them with it. So you really have to provide consultative along with the software. You cannot just say, here it is out of the box. Some some people can do it, but you really got to help them with the enablement part. And so we, we give them a software solution that lets them like post content from one spot, make it really easy for websites, apps, mobile, right? So from that point of view as a, what we call an omni-channel uh, content management system. We do have a couple of uh, competitors, but none of them are in the radio market. They're, they're, well, one of them does radio as well as others, but uh, you know, we we have some smaller competitors that we don't really stack ourselves up with. We more look at some of the bigger competitors that are outside of radio that serve television and other media outlet types like Frankly or 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 um, Intertech. But these these guys are only half the solution. The other half of the solution is enabling. So you enable the content teams with a one dashboard place to to post and, and, and monitor content and, and look at that data. And then we also have a, a revenue system that does the same for the sales teams that helps them sell all the different inventory and all that data gets put together so that they can leverage the two so providing uh, uh, the solution is really the where we fit and, and so on that on that advertising side we have another uh, pretty big competitor in marketron um and there's a lot of competitors outside of radio that are trying to sell into radio and say hey we have this system that everyone uses you should use it too yeah, but we course. found that that of it's course. very hard to do that with a niche very hard no, no. and you and i you, you and i chatted I, I think it was a few years ago now because you you knew that i kind of what you've done with with radio i was i was doing it with with sports, with sports. that's right sports teams so there's a lot of i found that really interesting yeah it's a very interesting market but I'm, this is not about me this is about you so i wanted to um i wanted to just mention iheart radio yeah just just to help the listeners understand what is that versus what kind of you do that's an x that's such a great question because at the <laughs> at the heart at the heart of the matter <laughs> that's okay that's a great name <laughs> i heart is a is actually a fantastic story some and and i can totally see their argument will say it is actually not radio it is actually the um butterfly that came out of the cocoon that was once radio and it is not it, it doesn't it really lacks that local flavor it's lacking that look because they they went so big and they so they just acquired station after state i think they own over a thousand radio stations across the u.s and what they decided about 10 years ago or so is they said you know we're, we're not going to have a thousand radio apps we're going to have one app and that one app is going to aggregate all 1,000 of our stations. But that's not enough. We're going to open it up to every other station. And we're going to come up with some sort of rev share because nobody knows what they're doing with digital. We know what we're doing. And they really just kind of Amazoned it, if you know what I mean. Like Amazon started as a bookstore and they sold books. But they invested in the most ridiculous infrastructure to sell books. Now we know, of course, it was to sell everything. But iHeart is kind of trying to do the same iHeart is a data play. The more station brands on there, the more listeners, the more times people are clicking, the more times people are interacting, that is the value of iHeart because they're, tar they're, they're using that data to target and target and target and crank up the value of those ads because the targeting is so good. The, the theory of advertising, and I've, come, I've really come uh, 180 on this, 
because before I, I understood advertising, I didn't really take it. I, I did my MBA. I did my MBA. I'm very proud of it. It was hard work. Yes, we went to the um, same school. That's right. That's right. That's the another one. But, but, but that, uh, yeah, I, 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 it was still called York MBA when I graduated. That's you're that much older than me. Fine. fine. So, so I, I, you know, but it, when you're in MBA, when you're in MBA, you learn, you learn certain things, you learn certain models, you learn, you learn all this stuff. But, but when you get out in the real world, um, if you don't go directly into advertising, you still look at advertising the same way as everybody does. Stop bothering me. Like this ad sucks. Like, you know, click ahead. Like nobody, my kids have no patience for ads. They want to, you know, fast forward, fast forward. Oh, it's live TV. Oh, it's live radio. You can't, right? You have to be patient. You have to listen to the ads. But if the ads are actually relevant to you because you're well-targeted, you'll listen to the ads. They'll mean something to you because we're used to being sold to and we're happy to be sold to as long as it's stuff that we actually care about because we're at various times considering, oh, maybe I'll buy this, maybe I'll buy that. So it, it, it depends where you are in the consideration phase and that's, there's this whole sort of shopper marketing mentality and, and, the, and thesis behind it. But at the very heart of it is, is that if, if you have good data, really good data, the ads will be really targeted People will click on them. That's why Instagram is shooting up in value beyond everybody else. They they found a way to make ads um, not uh, obtrusive, yet still very targeted, and that's the value. I got it. I got it. We won't get into TikTok, which is at its heart another audio experience. And oh god. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll skip TikTok for today. The savior what, what, of the labels. Yeah, keep going. What um what what I want to understand and let's. So iHeartRadio is a great example of kind of mass consolidation on the audio side. If we skip to the other side of the business, as you mentioned, you know, the, the, the Spotify's mm-hmm. and yeah, um, the streaming and, and the apples, you know, in, in our podcast here, and then I'll give Andrew, you know, all the credit because he, he, he worries about all of the distribution and promotion and all those sorts of things. But, you know, there's like nine different places where, where the, where our podcast ends up going, uh, Looking at the data, which again is not great because I, I don't think it's the true data, but you know, typically people are listening on Apple or, or Spotify or maybe on our website. But you know, like any other industry, and I think we're beginning to see it on on OTT with the launch of like Paramount and then there's Hulu and mm-hmm. ESPN and Disney. Anyway, we won't go into OTT. We covered that in another podcast. But you think about all of these distribution points for podcasts and the way that the audience is just so fragmented. Mm-hmm. Like, where, where is this going? Is there going to be like winners and losers and consolidation? And, and, I'll, and I'll preface that by saying, you know, if you're Apple or Google or Amazon, like we get it, like you're in a completely different business. You're just trying to have us on your stuff as for as much of the day as possible. So you don't even care if it drives revenue. I totally agree with you, by the way, because you are talking about literally the biggest companies in the world now, right? When you talk about what they call the FANG stocks, right? Like the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, Alphabet, whatever they were called. Now they're called Alphabet. So these stocks are constantly, first of all, they're the biggest in the world. So like you identified, their goals are beyond. Their goals are just, yes. So like, what's the next platform, right? The car, the house, the, you know, whatever stuff you're gonna wear, whatever stuff you're gonna implant into your heads in 20 years, whatever it's gonna be, you know? All of that platform stuff, it's like battle for the platforms. And there's always going to be a few choices. And what Apple used to do, when you think about going back, and this is what they taught us in MVA too. They're like, go back and look at beta versus VHS. Beta said, Sony said, it's our technology. Only we can make a beta. And the people who made VHS said, everybody can make a VHS. That's how we'll compete with beta. And VHS won, even though beta was better. Apple was the same way. App, nobody's going to clone an Apple, right? We'll take those guys to court. You know, the other, the other guys are like the opposite. But today they have to work together. It's just too, it's too big to, to isolate yourself to just one, although you will have a preference for one, right? Like a slice of my life is Apple and a slice of my life is in Google and a slice of my life is in Netflix. Like they got a slice. Each one of those got a slice of me. The Facebook one is the least. I, I spend minimal time on Facebook now, but... But you're on Instagram and WhatsApp, so they got your data anyway. Yeah, exactly. They force you if you if you use anything. Exactly. So they're they're going to find you. The, the The situation with audio is similar, um, in that audio is just another play for these guys. 
but it's a big play. And when you talk about the streaming services, you're pretty much talking about music because um, otherwise you're talking about podcasts and news and, and who wants to hear news if it's not live, right? So all that live stuff that we put on the other side, we're only talking about the streaming side. So the streaming side is very music dominated and podcast dominated. The, the, the thing is the internet allowed us to get away from the fact that there's only four networks or 10 channels or whatever it is, right? Now you can, but, but there was some sort of a great curation part of that, that, you know, sort of said, this is the stuff you need to know. And this was really, you know, and there's a whole standards aspect to it. Now, as we get into Spotify and, and these other music services and stuff. Yeah. Because people are at, at heart, like their, their music in particular, music is something that is innate for every, every human it, it, you can't explain it. Some people are just, they're, they're into heavy metal. Some people are into country. Some people are into, you know, hip hop or some sort of version of, of synth dance pop or whatever it is. It's because it, it connects with us in a very basic level. And, and there's a lot of studies done around the brain and how music and the brain are very intertwined and very big part of what makes us human is the ability to create and understand music. So music is, is one of those lightning rod things that will always appeal, always, always, always. And so if you give people the ability to keep exploring new niches and go deeper into niches with music, I think that is pretty bottomless actually. But I agree, we're not gonna need 10 music services, just like we're not gonna need 10 video services. We'll need three or four and maybe cut it at that. And then somebody will bundle them all and we'll be back to square one. <laughs> well no, it's a, it's a terrific answer from someone who's an absolute expert in the field. I think. Oh, I wanted to mention one thing, actually, you, you said about podcasts. What you're doing is not easy. And I have all the respect for guys that do Andrew's job 100% because I hate it. I hate that job. I don't want to do that stuff. And I had to learn it. I took a film degree at York before MBA. Like, I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker, you know? I went from like this, oh, I would be an actor, then I'll be a filmmaker, then I'll be a concert promoter. That You know, I kept on thinking, well, where can I get the most sort of like control to create, right? And so, you know, a lot of the control and being able to create is all based on how good your team is. If you have a good team, then you can create. And that's the thing that I learned as I kind of worked around all these other business models and stuff. So the team that actually puts together you know, the, the work of the podcast and, and the promotion and the distribution and the making sure everything lines up and is, uh, you know, there's a lot of work for, I, I can't imagine how many minutes you put in per minute of finished podcast, but yeah, I know it's, it's kind a, of unspoken. We, we don't, we, we don't, we don't talk about that. <laughs> it's great. Honestly. This is great. This is great. So what, um, what, what I wanted to do is, um, I want to get into kind of the, the, the newer audio experiences, we'll call them. Like mm. Very. We can talk a little about Clubhouse, a little bit about Spaces, uh, which I think just got released to at least to my account yesterday. But mm -hmm. what I found, and I've talked about this with you know friends who are you know just as immersed in the in the media, sports, entertainment, technology spaces, you know, the two of us. But you know, initially I was spending a bunch of time on Clubhouse. You know, any dwell time that I had available to me, I was like, whether it was like you know going to pick up the kids or washing the dishes. Honestly, like I would like instead of going into, you know, Apple's podcast app and finding something, um, which is typically the same two or three podcasts anyways, you know, I just go to Clubhouse and there's generally something there to listen mm. to. And it's improved. They, they've done a good job with all the all of the money they've raised to evolve that platform. And, and, and I'm still on there, but, you know, very quickly spaces is just, it's an easier place to go because, you know, there's whatever the number is, you know, 600 million people who use Twitter on a monthly basis. So, you know, as a, as a marketer and trying to gather an audience, it's just going to be so much easier to do that on Twitter than, than it is on Clubhouse. What, what are your thoughts on the platform? And, and do, do you see that, you know, this kind of live talk radio where there generally isn't the credibility <laughs> in the host, by the way, is, uh, is, is eating into kind of audio time. And then let's just face it, all of the benefits of listening to music that, that, that we know exists for people. Yeah, that's uh, Clubhouse was one of those things that um, I got an invite and I didn't want to touch it for a little bit. I I, I wasn't excited to get into it. I, I, I was kind of, I felt, I was worried about it. I was like, oh no, 
uh, I don't want to get immersed in another thing. You know what I mean? And that's what oh, I want. I know. That's what I wanted to avoid. So I, I didn't do that at all. I didn't. I, I didn't check it at all. And then I find I saw other people were starting to get into it, and I'm like, wow, people are really checking this out. And then when I finally delved into it, I binged like you did. I was binging because it was like being able to drop into uh, a conference of some sort and where you hear a panel of experts speaking on some topic and you could pick your topics. So it was very, it was like conference meets talk radio kind of. Um, and, and radio has often been described, you know, when you're looking for talent that can speak on air, they often say, oh, look for people who are like the life of the party, you know, the, the, the guy in the kitchen at the party that everyone's kind of talking to and they just sort of gravitate towards because he's opinionated, but he's listening. And, you know, there's just that one guy, he's got that it factor and that's the guy you put on the radio. Well, if, if you can bring that, and a lot of good panelists have that sort of casual attitude and a lot of people can develop it. Um, why not bring it to to uh clubhouse i just i see the functionality of it i see the real utility of it i see it applying to um things like slack you know if, if a business uses slack maybe we could do, do yeah i mean listen, the kids are using discord for uh sure uh, right for adults too for yeah you know, that, that's their companion app to talk while they're while they're gaming instead of you know facetime so it's just an audio version of it's like an audio eventuality evolution of social right so there, there it shows that social and, and internet and audio are are still not completely like we haven't figured it all out yet the fact that clubhouse could come out and and say oh this is this is a way to do this um now all these other platforms are going oh i need my clubhouse feature now so i can well, add uh, that to my so course, they don't have to leave well, my platform, right? They got, they got your time, and that's, every, that's what right. everyone is looking for. You know, and, and I'm going to share this other bit with you because it, it actually blew my mind. And it was from my my daughter, um, my younger daughter. I guess she's in high school now. And and she said to me one day, she said, Dad, listen, I, I'm going to – me and my friends are going to get together. You know, COVID has caused all these new behaviors, right? Me and my friends are going to get together, whatever it was on Zoom or FaceTime or mm -hmm. whatever it was. And she said, we're going to do a Friends episode uh, script read. And I was like, you're, wow. First of all, I was like, that is insane. And my my instinct, and this is back in my binge clubhouse days. I'm like, you got to do this on clubhouse. You just got to do it there. <laughs> anyway. That's a great idea. That is a great <laughs> idea. I love it. Because I mean, what I found at a clubhouse, and we're still doing this, but there's a group of us who are very interested in the intersection of sports and media and, and betting and how that's changing. And like, we just get together every I guess I'm giving a little bit of a promo here for everyone, but we get yeah. together at 2 p.m. on Thursdays in Clubhouse, yeah, yeah. and we just we just chat about the latest and greatest stuff that's happening. And, it's amazing, and, and like you know, so it's the same general, let's say ten or twelve people, but then you know, people drop in and people who we do not know who are very senior in the industry. So it's it's a cool thing. It's just a cool platform. The thing about a, a reading, though, so everything's got its application, right? So the thing about a script reading from my days of being in the script readings, the table readings, is that you you wanted to work it out. So it's the first time you all kind of sort of interact with the script, with the actors, and you sort of hear if the jokes work for the first time, you know, just within that room. So if there was some sort of way to, um, you know, you don't get too much interaction from the listeners. I think I, I think you can do comments and raise your hand, but I don't know. Yeah, can you can't you put, even do comments. You, you, could you just, can't even you do just comments. You can't. Hand. Can you do hearts or anything like that? Like you, you like no, what they said. It's, it's See, weird. with no feedback, then I, I don't know if that would be the right place for uh, for to actually leverage for a script, a table reading. But like you know, these things are amazing. Like. There's always a new application for something classic and old. And that's all, you know, any innovation usually is, right? It's it's just um, it's just a modernizing or a, uh, a twist or a cultural twist or whatever. There's always something that that, you know, people and that's the greatest thing about the tech world is that, you know, you can ramp up really quickly. There's there, there's no inventory. It's all up here. It's all IP. It's all in your head. And if you get the right people to build your vision, I mean that's that. I mean that's such a great thing compared to the tactile world of filmmaking where I came from, or you know events and concerts. Like those things are hard work to pull off. A lot of moving parts. Um, you know, live anything live. But you know, as we see, live is actually 
I mean, how often have you had to do any, gotten to do anything live with anything? Live, the value of live has been increased exponentially because of COVID. I mean, we're going to see ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how the, they're going to keep the prices down on concerts and events and stuff because there's going to be such an appetite to go and do stuff. Um, I think the live is really going to rebound. And ah, we're just going to see wave after wave. The live, the live will spurn a new, you know, wave of new content from the live and uh, all the interactions happening. And, you know, if we think the data is crazy now, just wait until, you know, we're back into full swing and the world is back into full swing. Hopefully. I mean, ho ho yeah. hopefully sometime in exactly. 2022, if not, if not 2022. Exactly. exactly. So this chat has been amazing. Um, we're not done, by the way, uh, but we do have some questions that we like to ask every guest that, that, that joins us. Right. And so let's just start with uh, you know, a moment in your career um, that you uh, recall as your most memorable. Most memorable. So um, I already told you about, you know, the dumping of the money on the table. That was a very memorable moment. <laughs> uh, the reason why that was a memorable moment is because it was the first time I earned money where I wasn't picked for something, right? Because as an actor, you get picked, right? It's you're, you're a talent. So if you get picked, great. Usually you don't. Um, but it doesn't feel like you earned it just because you got picked. But when you actually, you know, like you have to think of the, the business, you have to come up with the action plan, you have to put in the time and you actually, you know, sweat it out as an entrepreneur and then you get your reward. Your first time you got that reward. It's such a great feeling. I mean, when I was a, I was a five-year-old, I painted rocks and sold them door to door and I got like two bucks. Like I sold them for five cents each. It was crazy. My, my, I mean, maybe I wasn't five. I think it was eight. But anyway, the, the point is, like, I always had this sort of like entrepreneurial spirit. So I guess that was that was a massive milestone. But I mean, if we had to pick a real more recent professional um, memorable thing, uh, really the most one of the most memorable uh, times was getting into uh, uh, an office situation where I had 25 people. Uh, underneath me and, and my partners and and we were responsible for these people and uh when we did our, our full uh team address when we finally were uh, a profitable company that was a memorable milestone because it had taken so long to get to be like considered like a real like we were always struggling like there was a sort of struggle struggle and, and there, there was always a sort of like under uh, what do you call it? Like, it's more of like a uh, undercard or a, or a, you know, a David versus Goliath mentality. We we're always David. And, and so there was this sort of like, we we're the alternative. We were, we were the punks. And when we finally kind of earned that right to sort of say, okay, we, we're, we've, we're stable. We're here. We've got tons of clients now. We're profitable. And, and, and we have this awesome roadmap before us. I remember that meeting where we all kind of like, you know, we we're also, proud of ourselves and and you know it was just such a a, a important time for me I, I know it wasn't like a big thing for anybody else but i remember for me it was like you know that that sort of moment where you know we had we had sort of graduated you know we had, we'd gone through a, a big problem with a massive client we had lost and and uh we survived it and and we we had really struggled for those years afterwards building up our client base and uh, once we had we'd accomplished it, it, it the, the the feeling of accomplishment uh, and and having it affect so many people was was the, the real memory there, and like everyone shared in it. I get it. That, that, that's the entrepreneur, and and the the fact that you hung around and didn't let that be your defining moment, and then you went into retirement also says a lot. <laughs> well, it's all about will and resources. That's it. It's 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 if you've got the will, and you don't run out of resources, you can beat anybody anybody you just gotta have the will most people they they lose the will they they get beaten so hard they're like but some people when you get beaten hard you come back harder right so that's kind of me and my brother and, and my partners so we like to fight oh i like <laughs> you this. gotta like it otherwise forget it don't don't you know try something else you gotta you got you gotta be a bit of a street fighter uh you can't just be all about you know we we made our 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 to use a very <laughs> a mafia term, which I love mafia movies. Like we made our bones in the music industry, in the promotions industry. You take a lot of hard hits there. Like you deal with 
a lot. You know, we owned a club for a while. We de- we had to deal with a biker gang when we had to cancel a Headstone show. We had to deal with cops showing up to shows, certain shows. We had to deal with stuff. And like, you know, you deal with competitors who are pretty low. You deal with partners who do things that are pretty low. And so, I mean, you know every business has its shady parts, but you know, it's a tough business. It's a tough business, it's a street business. And, you know, a lot of people in the media business are graduates of that street business. You know, they've, they've got their war wounds, but they're survivors and they're, and they're strong and they're, and they're adaptable and they've taken those lessons and they've learned. And a lot of them that couldn't make that transition, they, they just fell by the wayside, right? Well, or, or they work at, at Rogers or Bell. <laughs> oh man, that's harsh. <laughs> well, I worked for both, so I mean, I, I could speak. That's true. That's true. So, Elliot, we, um, you know, our, our last question for you, uh, you know, just really thinking about the mentorship and, and advice for the next generation. I'll preface it by saying, you know, the world that you entered as a as a young actor and performer and creator, you know, obviously so vastly different. Let's call it twenty five plus years later. And, mm. and I wanted to get this in as part of your answer, but you know, when you look at Patreon or you even look at Clubhouse and you look at the concept of micropayments and tipping creators, well, I mean, we won't even get into Substack and other formats. We'll we'll stick to those. You know, what what, what advice do you have for your twenty-something self or, or others that mm. are at that stage that are that are creators? They're that maybe they can't make the leap into the entrepreneur that, that you and your brother and your partners are. What, what, what do you say to them? On their journey that's a it's that's a great question um my 20 year old self i was such an idiot when i was 20. <laughs> <laughs> we all were we are we all were i think i hid i hid actually like in nba because i just didn't want to deal uh, with reality i know i uh, okay so yeah so, so the world of today very different from where i was but um one thing that i think did me very well was i wasn't afraid of trying things and failing um and and trusting my gut going with your gut there is a uh, a feeling uh that you get that you just know you're right or you just can see the path and there's a reason that they call this a feeling or it's in a gut it's because you actually like people don't have the capacity to uh verbalize these feelings so you know they're they're in there and it's it's in the brain and it's part of the mystery of the brain and and i i I really believe in this it's it's when you say you've got a gut feeling it's because it's it's something you know is right or you can see the path you just can't verbalize it and when you feel that when your gut says something's wrong or you're looking at something that doesn't feel right or you trust your or you have a, a gut feeling on, on a path you want to go, you should tr- always trust it. Always trust your gut because it it is it is usually right. And in the cases that you're wrong, that's okay too. Because when you make mistakes, you always, if you can go back and say, what did, I made a big mistake. What did I learn from it? Or what would I do differently not to? And if you can remove ego and say, okay, if I did this differently, maybe this would have been, the, you know, it, you won't have any learning if you don't do that. And if you can do those two things, I think, oh, and, and be curious, right? So I think that's obviously, it goes hand in hand with trying and failing. So, so you know, be curious, try new things, try anything. You want to, you have an idea to do a podcast, try it. See, see what it's like. Try it. You, you have an idea, you want to... Um, you know, create something in, in, you know, you have to decide on what, what that passion is and just try different things to work it out. If, if it's, if it's wanting to be involved in some way within media, you know, that's hard work because media is all about, you know, getting the communications out there and, and getting it out there takes a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of understanding of the different media. But if that's what turns you on, play around with it, do it. Um, the, I warn you to just be careful with social media because when you're posting stuff, it's out there, right? And it's very permanent record type stuff. So you got to be very careful with that. Um, so I would also recommend in seeking out mentors and and people who have done stuff like this that could share with you some of the pain stories that you can avoid by just listening to them or, you know, not in, not in, doing yourself irreparable damage if you if you're putting yourself out there because remember when you're when you're in media it's a different type of game than than other businesses the media game has a lot of 
risk and scrutiny and permanent recordness to it. And the, the, the lines between PR and official statement and Twitter and news, it's all getting blurred. So you just got to be very clear before you put yourself out that you're ready to put yourself out. But at the same time, and I know it sounds like I'm, I'm completely just uh, going against what I said, sometimes 80% is better than, actually, most times 80% is better than 100. You get 80% of your act together, get out there. You know, you get 80% yeah. of anything together, get it out there. Don't wait until it's 100%. That last 20% is going to take you years to finish, and it'll always be a, an albatross or an excuse. Yeah, going from good to great, which is that eighty to one hundred or ninety to one hundred, like that's yeah. that's really hard, and um, you know sometimes just just not worth the effort. You know where I thought you were going to go with that answer, which was a fabulous answer, by the way. Thanks. I, I thought you were going to say, you know, and if your gut is wrong, you know, you can channel your inner George Costanza and just do the opposite. <laughs> that's of right. And you can try that that's too right. for a while. That's right. Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, honestly, do and 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 one other thing that I, a lot of people say: if you are going to be an entrepreneur, you got to do stuff to understand all the building blocks and the foundation of the business you're actually doing. And by doing them yourself, you will never have to rely on somebody else's opinion of it and take their word for it. So, you know, the fact that I lugged equipment in my car and I know a bass drum can fit in a front seat if you put the seat all the way back and if you don't bring a drum key you're screwed like if you know stuff like this you don't know when it's going to come in handy but it not only makes you more prepared but it makes you more authentic to the people you're trying to do business with if you actually do understand their parts of the job or some part of the job and finding common ground with everybody you deal with whether it's your staff your boss your your you know your kids teacher you know finding common ground is such an important part of you know relationship building and stuff and if you don't have that wealth of knowledge to lean on then you got to go with your personality good luck <laughs> uh, listen thank you for showing us all that today uh, or at least do it deliver oh, this awesome. audio so we can hear it uh your humility your honesty your expertise i mean it's uh for anyone who's made it almost an hour in to, uh, to this episode. Uh, it, I, I hope you would agree it was well worth it. And so what I'm going to let uh, Elliot do before we close, is, you know, how, how can the audience get in touch with you? Oh, um, LinkedIn is my preferred. Uh, Twitter I'm on. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but not. I'm not active on Instagram. So it's really about LinkedIn for me. And you're um, not on OnlyFans yet. No, I'm not. But, you know, I, I said, uh, you know, we – five years ago i said we could make a SoCast for just the regular person who wants to you know have a website and do this with e-commerce and do this with advertising and do you know whatever it is and it's just their little personal home and we're like oh that's going to take a lot of money to put together because we were just b2b oriented but i i have a lot of respect for the model of what only fans has done but you know like most things i mean isn't it just racked with porn <laughs> Well, I know that is, I mean, we don't even talk about that with TikTok and Clubhouse and all of that. I know it's like the dirty underbelly of stuff hidden in there. Yeah. And and you know what? A lot of it came from the porn industry. They're the ones who are tinkering. They're the ones who are doing R and D. They're the ones who are like, Oh, we got to come up with new ways to tell it. We will save, we will save this conversation. There's a lot of money in porn. All right. For our next, I don't, another, I don't another time. To do with it. Trust me, another, I'm just telling uh, you. <laughs> I know. Well, thanks again for doing this. This was really great to catch up. It's uh, always when we chat, it's been too long. And, uh, but I think that's what makes it all the more special. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Had fun. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to ReadySetGo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.